Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning. We actually are recording on a Friday morning for the first time ever. Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you on this beautiful Friday? That's actually Friday. I'm good. You're such a liar. You know it's Thursday night, and you're doing this to them. It's just I know. I'm uh, just messing with them. I'm just I'm 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 fully just trying to make them feel out of time and place. The thing is, you're making me feel out of time and place, so you're being very effective. Yeah, I do what I can. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, Uh, we're gonna get it done fast too. Fast. UCLA. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're done. This is gonna be a tight forty minutes, guys. Tight window. Tight. Tight windows. We're throwing into tight windows today. It's going to be like Dorian Thompson Robinson's throw in the second Kyle half. Phillips at the end of that game in the second half of all games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super Dorian. Yeah, uh, we got a lot to talk about. So UCLA beat Stanford last week to open up conference play, um, and going into this week, I think we both agree this is. Uh, I think even after this game, it's still going to be one of the biggest games of the year uh, this weekend against ASU. Mostly, uh, well, I mean, two things. One, ASU is pretty good. And two, the rest of the South is awful. And so this is, even though it's two games into conference play, this one really does, to a large extent, dictate the Pac-12 South. Um Unless something dramatically changes. I mean, SC has some talent. They could, you never know with SC, they could put it together. They could very well put it together for the UCLA game in the Coliseum. But as of right now, that's, and Utah can always put it together. But as of now, that's the way it stands. Yes. Colorado, I can safely say, is not good. So Colorado, Colorado and Arizona are awful. Yeah, I didn't um, I didn't even throw I didn't even think about it. Yeah. I, I think actually Colorado's worse. I think Arizona could win that game. Um Carl Durrell, uh, just an aside, really quick. Really quick. Um he has already made his magic happen in <laughs> Boulder. Uh that offense, it looks like what the offense at UCLA would have looked like without any talent. Uh, remember and I Carl Durrell is one God, it's one person for me that is, I have such, it's the weirdest mixed feelings because I have respect for the guy, but every time I see him on the sideline, I can't even describe the feeling. First, I yell at him and say, say something into the headset. You've gone five plays without saying a word. And then I remember back when he, his first year at UCLA and they asked him, like, how was it on? He goes, I just want to get out of everyone's way. That looks like what he's still doing at Colorado. Uh, I mean, he's on the headset to give input. I don't, I, but you're right. That team looked exactly like circa, I don't know what year, UCLA. And that's that's the way it looks. No, that was 2003 UCLA. We, it was we. really bad. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so the South is, um, I mean, it's, yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I think Utah maybe still has a chance if they write the ship um, and USC, but uh, really the only two teams that have looked um, decent enough to better than that um, are ASU and UCLA. I would argue ASU has only looked decent. They haven't looked great. Um, and UCLA, I think, has looked actually good. Um, so this game um, coming up tomorrow uh, is... <laughs> could save there, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've fully disrupted my own brain now. Um, but, uh, it's Friday game, morning, Dave, just so you know. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, this game tomorrow is actually um, very significant, and it's odd to say that about a game that's coming on October 2nd. Um, 
But yeah. so uh, looking at the kind of the matchups and everything, um, I think you kind of hit it on the head with your just message board post. And then I wrote, uh, I don't know, 3,000 words basically saying the same thing. Which uh, is so cool. I write three lines. <laughs> you do 3,000 words. That's our relationship. Yeah, like it's it. really good. Yeah. Um, but uh, this game really comes down to how is the defense going to handle Jaden Daniels? Is it going to be um, – is it true that Jake Hayner and that formula is really the only way to beat this defense? Or is there a way for a dual threat guy like Jaden Daniels, um, who's not the, the you know, uh, guy who's just going to make throw after throw and march you down the field, but will make the occasional spectacular play. Is he the kind of quarterback who's also capable of beating this defense? And I don't think we know that yet. And I, I think, think this game is going to tell us whether uh, this defense Truly only has one major significant weakness, which is dealing with essentially a West Coasty type offense where a guy can just make, you know, short throw, short throw, short throw, and then make occasional intermediate throw. Or does it have more than that weakness? I've, I've watched uh, the Arizona State-Colorado game uh, like one and a half times. And that's where I got that. Po- your, take, your big takeaway is uh, you if you limit his ability to gain yards with on the ground with his feet uh, you're you're going to have a very good chance of beating ASU um also our friend Chris Cartman gave us a lot of good insight uh in a story that will be published sometime today he is the publisher of the 24/7 uh ASU site about um Jaden Daniels and why his completion rate is like something ridiculous uh, watching that game, I don't know if he fits the Jake Hayner. Uh, he's, his decision-making isn't on that same level. He has thrown accurately short. Um, but there's, it's a lot. I don't know if ASU's offense is necessarily designed that way. And here's the other thing, too, where it doesn't fit that blueprint. Um, it's the other side of the ball, too, that that UCLA completely inexplicably in the Fresno State game just gave it to Fresno State when on offense, on UCLA's offense, they were just a quick strike offense. And I understand Chip Kelly perceived, well, they're stacking the box and I'm going to throw the ball. Got it. Understand. But that played into Fresno State's overall game plan, which was very effective. I don't think, I don't think ASU has the chance to stack a stack the box or in any way stop UCLA. If ASU's defense, its strength is its secondary. It's got like four guys who are 27 years old and, and talented and pretty good. Um, it's rushing defense is, is not great. That's the worst probable, probable unit overall on ASU. So UCLA should be able to run the ball, even if ASU is capable of stacking the box, um, which they might be able to do because of their secondary. But I still, it's got to be on both sides of the ball for the Jake Hayner model to work. And I see UCLA being able to run. I think Chip Kelly is very good in conceiving of a, a running game plan. He will come up with some wrinkles, some new formations running out of certain certain personnel groups that are new that will keep ASU's rushing defense on its heels. And I think that's, that's what's going to win this game along, yeah. along with containing to a degree. And our guy for containing Jaden Daniels, 
we've got to see we've got to see like a lot of minutes of Carl Jones. We just have to. He's vital for this game, in my opinion. I would think so, um, especially because I think um, Quentin Lake probably still going to be a little bit limited. Um, and I know he, I think he played a little bit of that role either last year or the year before um, yeah. against Daniels. Um, so without that experience at safety, you're probably going to need to have, you know, Quantrez Knight maybe play that role a little bit, have Carl Jones play that role a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see exactly what they have schemed up for it. Last year, they did it really well. Um, they completely bottled up Daniels. Um, so we'll see if they can do that again this year. When and they think- spied, when they spied Hayner in Fresno State, it wasn't those guys. So that's a, no, it yeah. was Caleb Johnson most of the time. And yeah. we love Caleb Johnson, but I don't think he has that kind of speed to be able to spy uh, Jane Daniel. No, may- maybe Jake Hayner, not not Jaden Daniels. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't think I hammered enough in the uh, preview um, in retrospect is uh, it, not only has ASU played some bad teams, but the, the final scores of some of these games are really deceptive. Like they played around with UNLV a lot. Colorado um, even was like close longer than it needed to be. Four, Fourteen to ten in the third quarter. I mean, they were in yeah. the game. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, ASU. Their their final scores look dominant. Like they look like they've blown out three teams and lost a close one to another team, and that's fundamentally true. Um, but the actual like gameplay, like what's going on in the game, uh, they have played around with teams a little bit too much. Um, honestly, they're they're. Uh, Kind of just, I think UCLA has left some points on the board, but from like a much higher level, like UCLA is a clearly good team and has left points on the board. ASU is a clearly average team and has left points on the board. Um, and I think uh, good. that's probably a good way to think about both of these two teams. Um, they're both not operating at peak performance, um, even in these games. And I think for UCLA, that's an exciting thought um, because... You're, and this has been kind of a fun conversation on the message board. And by fun, I mean kind of maddening. But, like, the the constant criticism of Dorian Thompson-Robinson and the offense and all this stuff. And uh, people being like, well, what the hell? It's like the number two offense in SP+. Plus. It's it's super explosive, the whole thing. And, and everyone's like, yeah. And it could be even better yeah. because they're still missing throws in the first half. I mean, Dorian Thompson-Robinson's first versus second half splits – are truly insane. Yeah. Um, he's he's a bad quarterback in the first half this year, and he's an awesome quarterback in the second half this year. And there yeah. is no rhyme or reason to it. Really, really interesting because we've been since the second since LSU, we've been saying, Wow, this is interesting, and then just hammered at home where we've been repeating it. And then our friend Ben Bolts put out that tweet, <laughs> which really I mean, Ben was smart enough to actually do some research on what we've all been saying. First half, 20 of 43, so he's throwing at a 46.5% completion rate, 359 yards, one TD, one interception. Second half, 31 of 46 for a 67.4% completion rate for 560 yards, eight TDs, no interceptions. And even beyond the stats, it holds up the eyeball test. I mean, he's missing four or five throws in the first half, most of them unhurried with a receiver open. Um, and then he's nails in the second half. And I'm writing a story about it. And I started to do just some spot research here there. This did not happen last last year. I, I don't I don't remember coming away with a feeling that he was a first and second half kind of guy like this, but I went and looked at some stats, not comprehensively, but did look at, you know, some. 
this did not this did not happen in a, any kind of trend last year. In fact, he was better in the first half in a couple of games. So I, I don't know how to explain it. Well, I did ask Chip Kelly I, I, that. I actually do know. I think he's listening to uh, music with far too fast paced guitar <laughs> in the uh, in the in the pregame. I think he probably needs to listen to something more melodic, um, some classical music, some slow R&B, just something before uh, the game. Like some love songs, you know, just something sweet. So he's nice and calm going into the game. That's you know, my idea. Probably Dr. Sharon Fieldstone would probably That's suggest what I'm saying. that. Also. That's what I'm saying. He needs a Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. One session, they'll figure it out, and he'll be fine. He'll be, he'll be putting together four quarters that make you go, wow. Uh, he's the best quarterback prospect uh, in history. You know, it was funny, too, because I, I can't remember, but we asked Chip Kelly, like, why is that? And he completely dismissed it, <laughs> of course. But there is, I don't know, there is something going on. Maybe it takes a half for Chip Kelly and the offensive coaches to kind of get a bead on what the defenses are doing and call. But you know what? That kind of doesn't hold up either because there are wide-open receivers that he's just missing in the first half. So... It, you, but you're right for for the not even just the optimistic bro, but anyone. I mean, on one hand, it's disappointing he hasn't put together a full game. But on the other hand, what happens when he does? That's the thing, and and I think that'll be freaky when he does um, yeah. because right now he's. I mean, the stat lines he's putting up from these games it's it's ridiculous as it is. Um, but if you look at some of these games where like how many times have we said, oh, he missed two basically open touchdown throws in the first half. Yeah. If he's hitting those? Yeah. I mean his his numbers would be I mean I think you'd be the clear Heisman favorite right now. Um I don't like, know a clear right but he, Matt Corral. He, yeah, he'd be he'd be on the list. He definitely would be mentioned on the list if he had put together halves in every game. Um, yeah. They probably Well, you make two more throws a game. Yeah. Two more throws a game, he's over 60% and he's probably throwing another touchdown. Um so yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, it's been a little bit mercurial, but pretty like clockwork, uh, first half, then second half. Um, and it was the same against Stanford. Um, first half, I mean, that, that, that illegal forward pass he threw was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I appreciated it, again, just as like a piece of performance art, but it was really cool. Kind of I mean, understand ran- it, though, because of the first down marker. I mean, it sure, wasn't whatever. I mean, ran. as somebody as somebody who's never played quarterback before, I understand it because I get confused by lots of things. Uh, putting myself in the shoes of somebody who's played quarterback for five friggin' years now, I might be like, "Huh, I've never seen that before. Never that's weird. That before. That's yeah. that's odd. That's an odd thing to have happen." Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he still then uh, led a sick uh, six and a half minute drive to ice the game against Stanford. Uh, he had that great throw to Kyle Phillips. Two great throws to Kyle Phillips. One leading him perfectly on the 75-yard touchdown. The other one, that laser into the front of the end zone uh, to ice the game. Um, so you're getting both with Dorian Thompson Robinson. And if you ever get just the one, um, it's going to be spectacular. Um, but I, I thought most importantly from that Stanford game and projecting ahead to ASU, uh, UCLA's running game once again got going. They made a very interesting choice, uh, probably a needed choice, probably a... Slightly overdue choice, which was to play Zach Charbonnet. Um, the majority of the reps actually carrying the ball. Britton Brown played a lot. They were doing a bunch of two-backs, so he was in there. But Charbonnet was the main ball carrier. Um, and the running game was able to get going again. So it was just um, a little bit of a one-off against Fresno State. There's uh, 
doesn't appear to be anything super systemic going on. Um, we'll see how it looks this week with Duke Clemens uh, sliding in at center uh, for the full game and whether that um, changes things drastically. I will say this, Tracy, and this yes. is going back to a point from, uh, I think, two off-seasons ago when you were talking about Antonio Mafia as being potentially like an NFL-type guy um, on the offensive line back when we were wondering how they would ever get talent on the offensive line. Um he, I was right. Dude, dude needs to be playing more. Yeah. Uh, as much as he can stomach, really, because um, he is a absolute road grader. And frankly, his pass protection has been pretty good. This pretty good. Year. He moves really well, which we knew. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think we need to emphasize one more thing. You touched on it. How important this game is. We can't say it's the biggest game of the year, Dave. Can't do that. Why? Because we jinxed it then. You just jinxed it by saying we were going to jinx it. Yeah. And we can't call it a corner turner because that's the supreme jinx of all time. But just think of the two alternate universes after, after Saturday. Uh, a win, 4-1, and one, probably ranked 18th with Arizona. Uh, what you'd have to say, I, I'm just not going to qualify, a not good Washington team coming up. Oregon at home, yeah, another number three team in the country, but you'd have to say they still look vulnerable. Utah, I mean, it, it, they could go on a they could go on a tear here and and really position themselves. And as we said, beat the other most competitive team for the in the Pac-12 South. Um, then the alternate universe version, three and two, probably fall out of the rankings. ASU probably replaces them at four and one. Uh, kind of uh, might not be favored in some games uh, after a loss to ASU at home. Just a completely different, two different existences. Whoa, completely. Um, so this game obviously is is vastly, vastly important. Now this is a game that a hundred percent, one hundred percent, Jim Mora loses. Wow. Yeah. In his, in his time, this was a game that he would lose. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is, this is definitely a game he loses. I'm, um, a little bit more confident in, um, the emotional preparation from a Chip Kelly, a little bit more even keeled. Um, yeah. I'm guessing the team will be, um, but this is definitely a game that Mora would have lost, um, because it's so big of a spot. Um, these, these were tougher ones for him to, I think, get the team emotionally prepared for. Um, so it's going to be interesting from that standpoint, like if this, because it is a, it's, it's again, I keep emphasizing it's a weirdly big game for October two. Um, so it's, you know, it's managing that, um, with this team is, uh, critical, but I can, I'm going to give you a firm prediction win or lose this Saturday. UCLA is going to Tucson and winning that game like 17 to 12. It's just going to be just absolute piss fest. It's going to be awful. Okay. Yeah. Just. Well, since we're since we can do these kind of things because we don't play the games, we just have to say too how exciting it would be. Uh, they beat ASU four and one. They beat Arizona. I'm not going on a limb. Five and one. Yeah. Uh, they'll be favored against Washington. Six and one. Probably ranked fifteenth or better, maybe at that point. And oh, game day. Game days. Game days coming to the Rose. Game Bowl. days coming to the Rose Bowl against Oregon. Yep. 
yeah. Big game. No, Fun. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're projecting way ahead. And you were worried about jinxing, and you just did that. My oh, God. no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's a lot on the table um, for UCLA um, because Fresno State's not going to be a bad loss. Um, at worst, it's going to be an average loss. It's not going to be a bad loss. Um, they're going to, if they continue to win, there's um, just, uh, look, you want to get way silly? You ready yeah. to get way silly, Tracy? Let's get way jinxy. Yeah. If they go, if they go undefeated the rest of the way, they're going to the playoff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just they have to be taken. Uh, that uh, Fresno State loss, thing is not going to weigh them down yeah. that much. Um, a three-point loss to a, what's turning out to be a very good Fresno State—that's going to be fine. With the best quarterback that probably UCLA is going to face. Yeah, all and you're you're looking at UCLA then if they made it all the way through with a Pac-12 championship win, likely over Oregon again. Uh, <laughs> That's, okay, you took it. Yeah, you took it really far. You did. Well, whatever. We okay. can we can do this now. Okay. When they finish eight and four, it'll be funny. We can look back on this and laugh. Um, and a laugh as people attack us, saying that it was us here I'll on laugh. this on this podcast that jinxed the whole season. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I'll laugh. I yeah. think it's funny. Yeah. Um. So I yeah. Won't. Anyway, this game <laughs> this game this week it's pretty big. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun game. Um, I, I think something to watch for is just how um, does UCLA look really amped up at the beginning of the game? Do they look, you know, maybe a little too over, you know, pumped for the game? Because um, that might, you know, actually play a significant role because I think emotional readiness was a was an issue in these spots. And frankly, Chip Kelly's teams haven't had to be in this spot before. Um, and again, very weird thing to say four games into the season, but it's nonetheless true. Um, it's a big spot, and we'll see how they perform. Yeah. And, I mean, it's prime time in Manila. <laughs> it's prime time in Manila. I am so, so glad I live in California again. Yeah, like what, when people, what time when people, is it? You know, okay, keep, caught, keep talking. Keep talking. When people were um, complaining about Bolch asking, about, uh, asking Greg Dulcich about the late starts, I was like, it's a completely legitimate question. I, these late starts are insane. And then I was like, wait, am I just thinking about this from the mindset of somebody who had to watch all these games on the East Coast for the last four years? Um, but it's just, these are so bad. I mean, UCLA, how many games have they played after uh, 10 p.m. Eastern now? Or will they have played after Arizona? It's one, two, what, three? Yeah, it's going to be of quite the a first, few. Yeah, geez. Yeah. It's nuts. They, they must be getting, I don't know, you would think, hey, number 20 team in the country, let's move in better. There must be a reason why they want him in this slot, though. It, I, it, it I, must I, be the the premier Pac-12 game at, uh, in the dark, pretty much. Well, ASU, if if so, it, this one was selected right after ASU lost to BYU and UCLA lost to Fresno State. So I can understand uh, maybe they were thinking, uh, we want it on you know ESPN or whatever, but it's not going to be the marquee matchup that we thought it was going to be. And it still really isn't um, because both the teams probably would have been ranked in the mid-teens um, if uh, if they'd won their games. But um, it's still just the way this is working out, um, especially with that Arizona game also being a 730-er. And I think that's just the fact of the matter that you're playing in Arizona. I think there's a certain time limit where they all have to be night games. Um, but whatever. It's, it's bad. Not yeah. good. So prime time in Manila. Since we're check facting, uh, fact checking, sorry, Chip Kelly, it's one a uh, hypothetically because I'm not saying we're it's Friday morning, but if it were 10 a.m. in the morning, it's 1 a.m. the next day 
in Manila. So let's do the math. That's uh, that's what uh, nine hour. No, how far ahead is that, Dave? You're really good at math, aren't you? It's fifteen hours ahead. Fifteen hours ahead. So if at three, what's prime time? What what is real prime time? Where he he likes probably his talking a five five p.m. I, I thought he liked three o'clock. He was all, all a he was all agog when they played at three. So let's say in that, yeah, that's still not prime time, right? No, no, it's in no, the morning. I think he chose, the think he chose incorrectly. The, he should have yeah. picked something else on the other side of the international date line. Yeah, yeah, he, he should have checked that before he said Manila. I think. Yeah, yeah, because really, it's it's what prime time in Hawaii. Prime time, prime time in Hawaii is what he should have said. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got got all those eyeballs from got the uh, million gotta, people who live in Hawaii. We got to fact check him. That's what we do. We, that's what we do here at Bruin Report Online. We are uh, big on facts. Uh, um, yeah. So big game this weekend. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll be. You know, it's we'll we'll see how it goes. Everything's gonna be fine. One way or another, it's all gonna be fine. Well, that's not true, but uh, it's great that you're saying that. Let's talk a yeah. little bit of football recruiting. Let's uh, do it. Our friend. And loved one, Greg Biggins, put in a crystal ball for uh, a, a pretty significant crystal ball uh, for Justin Martin, the quarterback from Inglewood, the four-star quarterback. Uh, I think we should be a little bit more poetic with the crystal balls. Like, we should say he peered into his crystal ball oh, and uh, and doused um, some, you know, you know, like read the tea leaves, did some tarot card readings, and came out with... You know, just like, let's get into it a little bit. So it's so corny. You're going full on. Yeah, no, lean into it. Irony, lean. Lean into it. Yeah. No, I get a little nauseous when you were saying that. But um, former commit to Cal, he decommitted. He's always wanted to go to UCLA. I guess that was his dream school. UCLA dragged its feet and offering him, had him on campus to throw, immediately offered him. The thought has been since then he was going to decommit and commit to UCLA. Um, and then he took an official visit to Ole Miss. The 24-7 sports Ole Miss guys put in some crystal balls. But then Greg Biggins, the master of the balls, <laughs> and then everyone flipped. I love it when Greg puts in one, or Brandon, or Blair. Then they get all of these guys putting in crystal balls right after it. So... It's pretty interesting. Um, he's going to make his decision sometime in October. Uh, so that looks pretty good. I can't remember a time when Greg put in a crystal ball and it, it was wrong. Um, I was looking up all their percentages. Um, I think Brandon is the best. He's got like a 96% correct rate this year. Aha. Um, and uh, Greg's above 90. I think Blair's above 90. Um, but yeah, Brandon. You know, Brandon's not a volume shooter. He doesn't put in a ton, but when he does, it's dead on. But see, here's the thing too. That's for all of their picks. If we're talking just UCLA picks, have they missed on a crystal ball? No. Come on. You know, these guys know. These guys know where their bread is buttered. Uh, yeah, they. I know where their bread. Is. We all are looking for that. We butter. We butter their butter, bread. We butter. Yeah. Them. No. We butter. So that's very interesting. And then uh, there was a development that. Uh, our friend Blair kind of broke on our little message board that uh, Carson Tabarachi, um, who is uh, from Utah, he is 
you would say a middle linebacker um, prospect, even though 24-7 has him listed as an athlete. Um, UCLA was, he's very interested in UCLA, unofficially visited twice. Uh, I had said I thought he was an important, a key recruit since UCLA has done, oh, let's just say it, not very good, pretty badly in recruiting high school middle linebacker prospects. And it needs one. Um, it needs its middle linebacker of the future. And he was really the only viable one that was available, that liked them, that they had a chance to get. So uh, thought he was pretty important. But Blair said it looks like that relationship is might have might have gone by the wayside, probably because UCLA is maybe reconsidering. Um, he is a pretty big dude, and he has a body that looks like he might end up like a defensive end. Um, a little, a little stiff in his film so far uh, this fall, uh, but that le and I get that. The problem is, the problem is middle linebacker, and I think they believe they're kind of set with Kane Madrano and uh, Damian Sellers and Jeremiah Trojan. And I kind of beg to differ on that. I'd really like to see them get an elite middle linebacker. They, that's kind of the. While I know you say a great pass rusher is a missing piece, to me, we're still operating without that huge playmaking, you know, Eric Kendrick middle linebacker in this offense. And I'd really like to see that. So hopefully, maybe they go dipping into that transfer portal and find a, an impact middle linebacker with a, at least a couple of years of eligibility left. Yeah, I think that would be smart. Um... I mean, looking at it this year, I like the rotation um, at inside linebacker. Um, you know, I think they've got a variety of guys. I don't know if they've got that pure, true middle linebacker, though. What um, do you think of Kane Madrano? I think he's awesome. I you think do? He's you, really th good. you think he projects a, let's say, potential like all Pac-12? Uh, yeah, I can okay. see it happening. The, the, here's what I would say. Last year, or was it the year before? I think it was last year. The, the COVID year really screws me up. Whatever year it was where he was just coming in and flying around a little bit, um, he looked wild, completely undisciplined, but you could see flashes. This year, he's made such a big jump up from there that I'm willing to concede that he might make another big jump up after getting the number of reps he's getting this year. Re um, remember, he was, a, he was a receiver. So he's only played linebacker last year and this year. So it was last year. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I would say he's... Uh, got a chance okay I mean, I think that's that's, that's good say. that's good um i'm a little bit more skeptical i think he'll be a, a a significant contributor but not like a super elite guy he's fast he's very quick um he's and i think uh, uh, i'm in line with you if he learns better how to not just fly around but have some discipline and taking angles tackling that would be good because there have been some times where he's just flown right by guys <laughs> oh, um, yeah. in his pursuit. And he is still young. So, but he does have that quickness. Definitely he does have that. He does have that kind of speed, which is fun. So uh, Damian Sellers is an enigma. You know, he came to UCLA as a pass rusher. He was plugged in at that outside linebacker spot. Uh, they moved him to inside linebacker, kind of seeing middle linebacker, Will and and now he was injured, and now he's with the scout team. So it looks like they're saying, hey, we're going to give him a year to learn the position. But if he were really, really good, he'd, 
You know, we've kind of for, we kind of forget what it's like. Well, we have an example. Devin Kirkwood comes in and immediately plays. Usually, UCLA used to have, back in the day, two or three, maybe even four of those kind of guys, true freshmen who are, are, are so good they're playing. Um, that's what I thought Damian Sellers would be, and so far he hasn't been, and I still have doubts on whether he is a middle linebacker. If you see him physically out on Spalding Field, he, he just he's so up and down – uh, he's not thick, doesn't have that lower thick kind of body, even though, caveat, UCLA's inside linebackers, they're kind of, I think they're kind of doing it differently. They want guys who can run and be and be fast and quick. I, I get that, but still. Um, so there's that. That's very interesting. I, I think that's something uh, to really watch in the 2022 recru- recruiting class. And it won't be over, I think, until they get to the transfer portal with middle linebacker. Absolutely. Um, we should talk about basketball recruiting because UCLA has a big, a big guy coming in um, this weekend. Uh, his name is Ernest Uday. He is uh, number 27 player overall in the country, number seven center, a really good fit at UCLA, I can tell you. A nice kid, great student, uh, a multi-year guy, really athletic. Great feet, uh, already a pretty good shot blocker, has the potential to be a very good post defender. The beginnings of a of a post up game, um, but he's he's a few years. He's probably the better version, I'd say, of Mac Etienne. Probably a little bit more physical, stronger uh, than Mac. Um, coming in for his official visit. Very interesting. He's from Florida. The question has been, to begin with, will he go across the country for school? I've heard that it's UCLA in Kansas. So on one hand, you'd say, well, if he's willing to go to Kansas, um, he's willing to leave home. But Tennessee's uh, he's visiting UCLA this weekend, Kansas the next weekend. Uh, I've heard he might want to make a decision pretty quickly, but Tennessee is pushing for a visit after the Kansas visit. If he doesn't know where he wants to go after Kansas and he starts lining up visits from Tennessee and Arkansas and Alabama, then, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be feeling he doesn't want to go that far away. So this this weekend is very key also because UCLA is down to not many not many targets in the 2022 class. There's Ernest Uday, there's Adam Bona, a five star post who plays at uh, Napa Prolific Prep who is probably now leaning to Kentucky since Duke took Derek Lively. Um, and Johan Treor, who's been taking a couple, uh, I think he has a couple official visits on his docket, but he is telling everyone he doesn't want to make a decision until spring. And I think UCLA smartly has decided, well, if he's waiting till spring, we're not going to have him on an official visit now when a quarter of his life will go by by the time he makes a decision in spring. So this is, so it's those three guys. Uh, and that's about all that's left pretty much in the 2022 class for targets. You see, of course has two commitments in that class already. Um, and, and great commitments uh, in Amari Bailey, uh, the five-star combo guard and the four-star point guard in Dylan Andrews. But bigs are always hard to get bigs and point guards and they've got a good point guard 
Uh, they got the backcourt. That's that's all nice. That's all perfect. It's set, but they could use a big of the future. But there's also the element, and you said they'd probably hate me if they heard me say this, but if Miles Johnson comes back for a year, you've got Miles Johnson, you know, next year, you got Miles Johnson for another year, and you, and you do have Mac Etienne, and there is a transfer port. Yeah. I, I don't I, I don't know. I, I'm not super concerned about uh, really anything going on with hoops recruiting right now. I think getting a big would be huge, but um, I, the transfer portal really has been a game changer. And I think it, um, you know, a lot of your predictions about what it would mean for UCLA generally, uh, but football and basketball, I think are coming true. Uh, they're going to have their pick of a lot of guys um, basically every year. So um not filling up just completely on high school guys doesn't seem like a terrible decision. I mean, we'll see how Miles Johnson works out, um, but that could be a great uh, test case. Just, you know, this guy comes in, and if he's able to make an impact, um, that would be huge. So um, well, I I, yeah. I, I got to say I'm disappointed, though, Tracy. You uh, are. Because it sounds like Uday's more of a likelihood, which means um, than, than Bona. And I was really, really, really hoping to continue with the bonus stuff. Yeah, I know you were. You were kind of just really feeling some. I really was feeling that, weren't you? I was over eager, um, and I think I I, 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 I shot out too many of them too soon. Yeah, you know? I, I think so. It was it was premature, Dave. Yeah, it was some premature. Um, well, ejaculations from my. <laughs> Yes. So um, also, if we're talking about excitement, um, the basketball team started practice this week. Um, and we will, uh, from what I'm hearing, uh, the media will get into a practice next week. So that's also very, very exciting. Um, once once Mick gets his uh, like first week screaming out of the way um, for all the stuff they didn't do right over the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, just... Just to think about, you know, of course, there's Jaime Jaquez, there's, you know, Johnny Juzang. But just to think about Jules Bernard, another year as a senior, and Jalen Clark. To see that that picture that we posted a story from the UCLA Twitter page of Jalen Clark guarding Jules Bernard. You just go, holy crap, man. <laughs> they're well, going to have some guys. Jaime Hawkins looks great physically. He looks great. He looks because last year, remember during the COVID offseason, he got thicker um, and was a little bit slower to start the season. He looks like in the best shape of his life. So I, I'm, I'm not going to see him. Not going to completely give it away, but for Pac-12, our preseason media picks. Uh, you know, we got to pick. We got to pick a like the conference, the all conference, and I'd say. If I were going to pick player of the year, it wouldn't be uh, Johnny Juzang. No, no. I think I think Jaime Hawkins is going to compete for All-American stuff this year. Yeah. 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 And especially the way Mick is talking about it, too. Yeah. 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 It's his spirit animal. He's the guy. It is. Yep. It's his boy. Yep. All right. Well, we came in. We did it. Did we? 10.14 p.m., wow. right? Because we're recording this on Thursday night. Yes. Um, we nailed it. Nailed it. All right. Okay. Well, it's good to talk right? to you, Dave. We it was should wonderful to talk we to you. Should Tracy. Do a, we should do a podcast of that. Yeah, yeah, we should. We should. Oh, I recorded this whole end. Did you record your end? Oh, wow. 
So um, you can make a podcast from this. This isn't just yeah, our checking fine. in once a week. Yeah, we can do it. Okay, great. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Enjoy the game this weekend, guys, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.